Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Are you there? Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13. We'll read a few verses in Exodus chapter number 13, and then we'll uh, read a few verses uh, in Numbers chapter 14. But let's start there in Exodus 13. Exodus 13 and verses 17 and 18 are what I'm going to read. The Bible says this. It says, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, saying that would have been the quicker route, is to go through the way of the Philistines. Uh, it says, For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about, or around, through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now turn over to Numbers chapter 14 if you've got that bookmarked. And I'm going to start reading in verse number 20. Numbers 14. And starting in verse 20, the Bible says, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. To give a little context of what, he, what God is saying there, he's talking to Moses. God was at a point, he was ready to wipe his people out. And we see that a couple of times because they were just very uh, rebellious. And uh, he was just ready to wipe them out. And Moses, uh, if you recall, he ended up pleading to God, said, No, God, think about your glory. Think about what all the other nations of the world are going to say. They're going to say hey, that God couldn't get his people into the promised land. And, uh, and, and so he had to wipe them all out just because he couldn't do it. Think of your glory, God, and, and, uh, and forgive us, okay? And that's what uh, God is responding to. He's saying, okay, I have parted according to your word, Moses. He says this, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Skip down to verse 29. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years. And bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year shall you bear your iniquities, even forty years. And ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are, that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. We just read in those two passages, we just read the beginning of the children of Israel's journey uh, to the promised land. And that was Exodus 13. They were just starting the journey. And then the end, right when they get to the precipice of the promised land, Numbers 14. And this morning, we're going to cover the entire time in between, okay? The entire time in between that. 
Uh, and if you know anything about the story of Israel, you know that the time in between is their time in the wilderness. Their time in the wilderness. And I know some of you saw, I saw some of your eyes when I said, we're going to cover all the time in between. You realize that's like 69 chapters, okay? Exodus 13 to Numbers 14. Uh, but we're, it's going to be a quick overview as we touch uh, on some important aspects of this wilderness season. And I, it, it may seem, uh, a couple of points may seem like a lot of information to process, but we're going to cover it uh, in, in an overview type way. And really, all the information that we're going to cover really boils down to three points is what I want us to see this morning. Three main points. So I want us to take a moment and look at how the children of Israel managed their wilderness season. Which, if you paid attention to what we just read in Numbers 14, was not very well. They did not manage their wilderness season very well. And I want us to learn some practical things for us about how to manage our wilderness seasons. What does that mean? And how do we manage it? So, Lord, we come to you this morning, and we just ask that you would bless this time as we look into your word. God, would you help us as we get into it? Lord, would you give us open hearts, open minds, help us to uh, not just be in a seat, to fill a seat, and to check off some point on a checklist of uh, being a Christian. Lord, would you help us as we sit here and listen to your word? Would you help us to soak it in? And God, would you help it to change us? God, help us to not just listen and to, uh, to, to uh, hear the word. Lord, would you help us to do the word this week and apply it? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in my, uh, in my life, especially throughout the last few years, I've seen what I thought was going to take place turn out to, uh, what I thought was going to take place turn out to be completely different from what I thought and how it was going to take place. In some instances, in some instances, in fact, uh, what took place was the exact opposite of what I thought was going to take place. Uh, I think uh, I have mentioned before, uh, two years ago, when we uh, were planning to start the church, uh, we we came in with the idea of starting earlier in the year of 2020, and we didn't know COVID was going to happen and all of these, this craziness. Talk about an unexpected season, which is what we're talking about this morning. That whole year was an unexpected season, and uh, I remember everything that we thought was going to take place, and we had our ducks all lined up in a row, and it was like God just threw all of those plans off the table and put a new blueprint down for us. It was just completely different from what we thought. Uh, when, we moved, when I moved to Moses Lake and uh, went to, from Oklahoma all the way to Washington, and uh, when I moved there to, to become the music pastor, I had lined out in my uh, mind how everything was going to take place. I had thought, uh, I'm going to move there, I'm going to find a job, I'm going to find an apartment, and I had even the order in which it was supposed to take place. And uh, the order that I thought it was going to take place, God said, I like that order, but let's do it in reverse. And uh, I mean, I had an apartment before I had a job to pay for the apartment and all of these things as it came uh, about. And then when I uh, thought when I thought we were going to get married, me and my wife, Rebecca, what we had a plan of when we were uh, going to get married and how our engagement was going to go and all that kind of just got flipped around, family situations, all that. We got delayed about two months further than what we were expecting to uh, when we were expecting to get married. It was put off for almost two months after that. And uh, and so that, that was a whole new thing. And then I, I think of even more recently, about a year ago, when uh, we thought we were about to bring our third child into uh, the world. And come to find out through an ultrasound, we were going to bring our third and fourth child into the world. I mean, talk about uh, a, an unexpected season coming up in your life, right? 
But what's been interesting is through my entire life, the Lord keeps bringing me back to this truth about himself. And at times, it's kind of an unsettling truth about himself. But the truth about God is this. God is unpredictable. Uh, and, and when I say that, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying that there is any inconsistency in God's character. Uh, he, he is always the same. Uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As God himself said in the book of Malachi, he said, I change not. Uh, there, there is no change in his character. Uh, he is uh, completely consistent in his character. Uh, he was faithful. He is faithful. He'll always be faithful. If you take any characteristic that we know of God, uh, he has always been that. He is that right now, and he will continue to be that forever in our future. Provider, sustainer, healer, you name it. He always has, is, and always will be those things. So I'm not, I'm not saying that there's any inconsistency in God's character, but I am saying that there, there's unpredictability in his activity. Like, we can always know who God will be, but we, we don't always accurately anticipate what he's going to do, right? We, we can always know who God will be, but we don't always accurately anticipate what God will do. And at times, I think of looking at the uh, life of Jesus even and how he did things differently. In his earthly ministry, uh, at times he would respond to people immediately when they called for him. They came and he healed them or uh, he, he spoke to them. He answered immediately. And then we see in John chapter 11 when someone comes and says, hey, Lazarus is sick. He says, okay, I'm going to wait about four days. Now, we know that the Jews had a thought in their mind that the spirit of a man didn't leave until after the third day. And so what God was, uh, Jesus was doing in that moment was to prove he truly was God and that uh, what he did was going to really prove what he told his disciples and the people there, that he is the resurrection and the life. And, um, and, and uh, uh, everything that was going to take place was going to just inexplicab inexplicably be a miracle from God. And so he waited four days to do that. Sometimes... We see Jesus healing someone by touching the person. At other times, we see him doing so just by speaking the word, not even being there in some cases. He looked to one man and said, your daughter's healed. Go back home. And, and they went back and found uh, their child to be healed. And sometimes we uh, see Jesus touching uh, a person. And then we see in, uh, I think it's Mark 5, that uh, someone gets healed by touching something that was touching him. Like he didn't touch her. The woman with the issue of blood, he didn't touch her, and she didn't even touch him. She touched the hem of his garment, the hem of him. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he, she barely touched, and she was uh, healed in that point. Um, sometimes Jesus spoke the word, as I said, and, and the person was healed. And then we see other times where he did things like spit in dirt and make clay and put it in a man's eyes. Uh, we see some people who were healed in instantly, and then we see other places where there's a blind man who he healed in stages. Hey, do you see? And he's like, no, people look like trees walking around. And he goes, okay, and then does it one more stage, and now he's per perfectly healed. I'm just saying all of that to say sometimes God does things differently than how we would see him do it. And every situation, or how we would think he would do it, and every situation that he works in uh, is not the same. And so he's not going to work in the same way. I think of even the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He said, uh, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations given to me. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. He said he went to the Lord three times, three separate times saying, would you take this away from me? And yet 
the Lord's response was, no, my grace is sufficient. Uh, my, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you think, God, take this away from me. And he says, no, I like what it's doing in your life. And what? There's so much pain. And he goes, yeah, but you've also been in a lot of prayer recently. And so I like, I like how this is developing you. And sometimes God uh, helps us uh, not, not by taking away the thing, but by giving us grace in the middle of a thing to endure what we're going through. And so all of that to say, we just can't always predict what God will do. We can't. Now, think about that in the context of our passage this morning. In Exodus chapter 13, it says, It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Listen, peradventure, the people repent when they see war, and they'll return to Egypt. But God led the people around through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. I don't think Israel saw the wilderness coming. Uh, they were told, if you look, uh, I think it's uh, earlier in chapters number 3 through 6 of Exodus. And like I said, this is an overview. For, for sake of time, we're not going to read all these verses. But I believe it's chapters 3 through 6 that when you look at God talking to Moses and Moses talking to people, there was no mention of a wilderness season. It was, Moses, I'm going to take the people out of Egypt into the promised land, into a land that I have promised. Uh, to Moses to the people. God's going to bring us out of Egypt and into the land that he has promised. They were consistently told, out of Egypt, into, into the promised land. Out of Egypt, into the promised land. And so in their minds, this was most likely supposed to be an immediate thing. We, we come out of Egypt and we go into the promised land. But what we saw in Exodus 13 is that God understood something about them that they did not understand. What God understood is that if he would have taken them out of Egypt and right into the promised land, they would have saw the battles that they were supposed to uh, that they were supposed to fight. They would have saw the war and they would have changed their minds and said they would have repented. They would have changed their minds and said, no, 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 no. we're going back to Egypt. We'd rather be in bondage to the Egyptians than to uh, have to fight against all of these people. And what's interesting is that that still ends up being their response after their wilderness time. But, and we'll see that in just a moment. But God said, I know that that's going to be the response if I take them right through here. So I need to take them through the wilderness. And what I need, well, can I just pause and say this for a moment for ourselves as we see that God knows, God knows what battles you're ready to face and, and are not ready to face. And sometimes uh, the thing that we think we want, God knows we're not actually ready for that yet. And so he takes us through a time, which I hope we'll see this morning through the, the nation of Israel. He takes us through a time to prepare us for that moment. I mean, we can, that we can be ready for something and not actually be ready for it. Like, you can be ready for a promotion at work, but not be ready for the pressures that that takes on. And there's a lot of examples we could go through uh, to show that. But the, the children of Israel, they were ready for the promised land. We're ready to get out from bondage. We're ready for the promised land. But God knew they weren't ready for the battles yet that they would have had to fight to take the land. He knew this. And so he led them through this surprise season, a wilderness season that they most likely did not see coming. And really, that's what the wilderness is a picture of. Uh, the wilderness represents surprise seasons, what you don't see coming, what you, what you cannot predict. And it represents a season of preparation. Because sometimes in order to get to the place that God wants us to get to, he has to take us through a surprise season to prepare us for that place. I, if I were to ask, has anyone here ever had a surprise season? 
I think we'd all go, are you kidding? <laughs> like, yeah, in fact, some of you are better like, Pastor, you know, I, I've had surprise season. I've just gone through one. I'm about to go through one, whatever uh, the case might be. But uh, surprise seasons seem to just be a common thing in life, that we all go through these surprise seasons. And, and really, the, the truth is they're unavoidable. Uh, we're always going to either be coming out of an unpredictable season or about to go through an unpredictable season. They're, they're unavoidable. We can't predict everything as much as we wish we could. And so these kinds of seasons of life are unavoidable. And when seasons of life cannot be avoided, they have to be managed. And, and, and how they're managed can determine whether a season is prolonged or made permanent. And so I want us to learn from the children of Israel's wilderness season, their unexpected season, on how to manage our wilderness seasons. And I want us to learn three principles this morning on how to manage a surprise season. So how do we manage a wilderness season? Principle number one, if we want to manage our wilderness season well, first of all, we need to recognize it for what it is. Recognize it for what it is. What is it? Well, surprise seasons, first of all, are a time of preparation. A time of preparation. God was using this wilderness time to prepare the children of Israel for the next step of taking the promised land. Uh, they, remember, they, they were ready to get out of Egypt and into Canaan, but they weren't ready for the adversity that that short path would have required. So God used this time to prepare them for that. He prepared them by giving them the law, the Ten Commandments, and some instructions regarding the tabernacle that they were to build for worshiping him. You can read that uh, about that in Exodus chapter 20 through, ver uh, through chapter 31, that he prepares them with the Ten Commandments and the instructions regarding how to build the tabernacle. And then he gave them the Levitical law, all of the book of the uh, of the book of Leviticus outlines for them certain things that should be done in remembrance and reverence of God. In Leviticus, they're told about different kinds of offerings that they would offer to the Lord. They uh, were told about the priesthood and how the priests should be dressed and how they should conduct themselves. And they were told about uh, what was clean and unclean to eat and and to do. They were uh, and, and all of those things were explained in the Levitical law. They. Uh, and, and some of this helped their health. God was preparing them. Uh, I, a lot of people, they read like the book of Leviticus and they go, oh, well, why did God, why did God make all of these laws for them to not be able to eat this? And they had to eat that and all of these kinds of things. Uh, and, and then he just changed it in the New Testament. Well, I think contextually, you look at the context of it. God was preparing his people for battle. <laughs> some, of, some of their dietary things uh, were not just clean and unclean, it was actually to build up his people's health to prepare them for the battles that they were about to face. So he's preparing for uh, them for uh, their next step, uh, even physically. They were given special days and feasts to observe. And then when you get to the book of Numbers, you see even more how God is preparing them uh, for the taking of the promised land. He prepared for uh, th them he prepared them physically by telling them who would camp on the north and the east and the south and the west side of the uh, the tabernacle. He uh, told them that the Levites would camp around the tabernacle, who goes to battle first, who uh, shores up the back uh, in, in these situations and uh, and they set up this uh, this uh, system of trumpets, kind of like an alarm system for battles. And all of that takes place in those first few chapters of Numbers. He's pre preparing them physically for their next step. And then uh, he gave them 
they, he, numbered, he had them number themselves to find out how many soldiers they had for, for war. That's where we get the book of Numbers, the name, the book of Numbers. is uh, It's outlined for us there. They numbered themselves, and it was about uh, 603,000, a little uh, more than that, that they had soldiers-wise. So they, they now knew how many they had to take in the battle. And he uh, told them who does what, and he prepared them physically for the job. That's Numbers 1 through 4. And then he prepared them spiritually. Numbers 5 through 10, he outlines for them how to be separated unto God and unto holiness. This is where he explains uh, the Nazarite vow. In uh, Numbers chapter 6, you see the Nazarite vow, which is something that any of them could do voluntarily, where they would dedicate themselves to holiness and dedicate themselves specifically to God. And, and instead of focusing on the keeping of their hair and, uh, and, and the uh, entertainment and the enjoyments of life in wine and grapes and those kinds of things, they would temporarily uh, stop that in their life. Uh, in order to then dedicate themselves and have more time uh, to uh, devote themselves to the Lord. And, uh, and of course, we know some of the, the things in the Nazarite vow from the story of Samson and what he was required to do. He was one of those rare situations that uh, that was his lifestyle that he was supposed to live in. But any of the nation of Israel could take this vow for a period of time in their life. And uh, so that's outlined in this. And that he uh, even outlines them the blessing of the priests and, and corporate worship, how that should take place. And all of that is outlined here in Numbers chapter 5 through 10. So he prepares them physically, and then he prepares them spiritually for this next step. It's a time of preparation, this uh, time in between that God is bringing them to. But it was also a time of pruning. There's also a time of pruning. Uh, wherever there is preparation, there is often pruning. Forward, forward motion, especially in the Christian life, is not always attached to what we should start doing, although there are plenty of things that we learn from Scripture we should start doing, but oftentimes it's attached to things we should stop doing. And, and for, uh, the nation, for the children of Israel, this was a time of pruning. They had a, a pruning of issues. There were some issues that the children of Israel had that God wanted out of their lives. I'm not going to take too much time on this because we're going to see a good amount of their issues in just a moment. But suffice it to say this, they had some attitude problems, they had some heart problems, and they had some attachments to the world, uh, and to, to Egypt, that God wanted to prune out of their lives uh, in order for them to take this next step. And so they had this pruning of issues. And so maybe, just maybe, in our time, as we re recognize these wilderness seasons, these surprise seasons for what they are, we need to realize that God may be putting us through this to take away some of our heart issues, some, some of our uh, heart problems, and some of our attachments to the world that we need to get rid of. He takes us through those times in order to prune us of some issues. But it wasn't just a time of pruning of issues. It was a, even a pruning of some individuals. Not, not everyone that started the journey with them ended up there on that day in Numbers 14. In, in, in Leviticus 10, we see specific people, Aaron's sons, that they offered up a strange fire contrary to what God had commanded. And because of it, they died. They, they were judged for it, and they died. And uh, I'm not going to take the time. It would take a long time to go through all of those chapters and show us every single person that the, the Bible outlines died and no longer was there with them. And when they showed up at the precipice, uh, the precipice of the uh, promised land. But uh, when you're in an unexpected season, when you're in a wilderness season, don't be surprised if God starts to prune some people from your life. They're people that he knows won't be able to help you where you're going, or even worse, they would hold you back from getting to where he wants you to be. I think of 
2 Chronicles 25, King Amaziah. He had prepared this game plan for how they were going to go to battle. And uh, God told him through the man of God, uh, told him, hey, God is not going to be with you. You're not going to win this battle unless you take away some of the people who are in your game plan. And Amaziah's question was, what about all I've invested? I paid these guys to join us and go on. What about everything that I've invested? And the man of God says to King Amaziah, he says, God is able to give you much more than this. And sometimes when we're going through a season, uh, an unexpected season of life, and people start to walk away from us in that time, or, or people, uh, we, we end up finding out that we need to cut off some kind of relationship in that season of life. Uh, as we see that take place, sometimes we go, but God, what, what about all the time I've invested in this relationship? What about all the things that I've been doing to garner this relationship with this person? And I'm just here to tell us, God can give us much more than that. Just like uh, King Amaziah was reassured. But sometimes when we go through these times of life, God is bringing us through that season to prepare us. And then also to prune some things away from our lives. Maybe a pruning of some issues, heart issues, and sometimes a pruning of even some people. And God wants to cut some things out of our life in order that he can accomplish his will in us. So we need to, first of all, recognize these unexpected seasons for what they are. A time of preparation. A time of pruning. But principle number two, if we want to manage our wilderness seasons well, then we need to not be so focused on what you want God to do now. Sorry, it should be on there. Want God to do now. That you miss what God, or what you want God to do next. Sorry. That you miss what God is doing right now. Don't be focused so focused on what God, you want God to do next that you miss what God is doing right now. This, uh, this seems to be kind of a reoccurring thing in the children of Israel's mind. God provides for them. They complain about something else, so he provides for them again, and they figure out something else to complain about. So he provides for them again, and they figure out another thing to uh, complain about. Or they completely disregard what God told them, and so they misunderstand something and start complaining again. And they get so focused on what they want God to do next that they miss what he was doing right in front of them <laughs> this whole time. Uh, and it starts in Exodus 13, where they're seeing the literal presence of God in the uh, pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They're seeing the literal presence of God right there with them. But when they see Pharaoh and the Egyptians coming in Exodus 14, they start to complain and murmur against God and against Moses. And then God miraculously parts the Red Sea and they all pass on dry, dry ground. The Egyptian army following them is swallowed up in this huge sea when it closes back in on them right after the last Israelite gets to the other side. But it didn't take them long after that to find another problem. The Exodus 15 tells us they started complaining because they were thirsty. And, and that any water that was near them was bitter. And so God told Moses, to chop down a tree and to throw it into the water. And miraculously, now the water tastes sweet. But oh no, they got their thirst quenched. That wasn't enough. Now what's for dinner, God? <laughs> because in the uh, next chapter, Exodus 16, they start complaining about their hunger. And then God provides manna. Which, the naming of manna to me, seems to be just another way that the Israelites were complaining to God. Because if you read it, if you read it in Exodus chapter 16, it's interesting they asked God for bread. They asked him for bread. And when they woke up, it was a dew of like coriander seed. So it was the ingredients for bread. It wasn't bread, but it was the ingredients to make something like bread. And so uh, it, it's almost like manna, which means what is it? It's almost like they were saying, God, we asked for bread. What is it? 
What is this? We asked for bread. What is this? Uh, we asked for something and you gave us something else. I heard one preacher say this way that God's provision came in the form of a project. They, they uh, asked for God's provision. He provided, but he gave it in the form of a project. You've got to do some things in order uh, to, to get what you've asked of me. And sometimes God does that. I think of one of my favorite songs to listen to. Rebecca has sung it here before where uh, it says, I want mountains to move, but you want me to climb. We, we often just want God to do the thing. And sometimes he says, yeah, I'm going to do that, but I, I need you to take the steps necessary for that to take place in your life. And uh, so oftentimes... God will give us not just exactly what we ask for, but the resources in order to get then what we ask for. We ask God to provide a vehicle or a house, but instead God provides a better job for you to work in order to then buy a house or uh, get a new vehicle and save up money for those things. So God provided these people manna. But then even in the providing of manna, they disregarded the instructions by God in what to do with the manna and to gather the manna. Uh, they were told not to grab more than they needed for one day and to hold it overnight. They were told not to do that. Get what you need for the day and that's it. The next day there will be more. And they disregarded that. Many of them took more and then left it overnight and then woke up the next morning and looked in there uh, where their manna was from the day before. And now it was full of maggots and worms, which just gives me the heebie-jeebies because that's gross but they uh they found out that it spoiled overnight because they disregarded what god told them to do and then even then god told them there is one day that you should buy that you should get extra the day before the sabbath get grab extra for the next day because man isn't coming on the sabbath because i don't want you to work i want you to rest and to uh, make sure that that day is a day dedicated to me. And, and so uh, I'm going to have you do that the day before. Get double. One day a week, you get double. And some of them, if you read it, some of them, they disregarded that. And they show up on the Sabbath and they walk out of the tents. And, and instead of, what is it? They go, where is it? <laughs> They're like, God, where is the manna? What happened? And Moses is like, it's the Sabbath. Get back in your tent. Like, you're not supposed to be doing anything. You disregarded what God told you to do. And then they get thirsty again. If you keep reading Exodus 17, they get thirsty again. And so they ask God for water. They start complaining about this. And God has Moses strike a rock and water comes out for them all to drink. And then again, they see the literal presence of God presiding over an area of Mount Sinai. If you look at Exodus 19 through 31, all of those chapters, uh, they, they're literally seeing the presence of God above this mountain while uh, while Moses is up there receiving the Ten Commandments and the instructions for the worship of God in this tabernacle, God is literally up there writing on stone with his own hand. With his own hand. And they can see the presence of God uh, 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 presiding over the mountain. And yet the people get impatient with Moses and they turn to idolatry. Not just building an idol, but offering sacrifices to it and dancing before it. They, they go as far to end up naked in front of the thing. They read, if you read it in Exodus 32, they, they go way too far with this worship of this idol. And it just goes to show us that sin always goes farther than we think it's going to take us. But then we have eight more checks. And, and then that thing happens. That's the whole, you know, Moses breaks... He sees what has, takes place. He breaks the tablets of the Ten Commandments. He has to go back and get new ones. All of that takes place, okay? But all of that taking place in Exodus 32, I think it's also chapter 33. But because after that we have eight chapters of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus, and then ten chapters of Numbers in between that mess up and the next, 
you read scripture, it seems like they had their act together for a while. But all of those chapters, the last eight chapters of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and the first ten chapters of Numbers, you know how much time has spanned? About two months. <laughs> That's a lot of scripture for two months, okay? But only about two months has spanned. And then in Numbers chapter 11, after those two months, it tells us the people raged against the Lord. And the fire of God came against them and between them, it says. And they literally see God's working through fire. Through fire. Same chapter, just a few verses later. They have just seen God's working through fire. And a few verses later, we see they start complaining and murmuring, saying that they're tired of man. We're tired of this stuff, God. Uh, we, want, we want meat. God was providing for them food every single day. All they had to do was go outside their tent and pick it up. Like, talk about curbside delivery, right? Like, right there. All they had to just go outside the tent, pick up the stuff, and they didn't have to do anything except for pick the stuff up, and yet they're like, God, we're tired of this stuff. We want meat. And what does God do? He provides a gift. He provides the quail for them. Then in Numbers chapter 12, we see some of the people, specifically Moses' siblings, Miriam and Aaron, chide on Moses for his choice of wife and whether or not he was really leadership material. And if he was the leader that God actually had called. Which really wasn't questioning Moses, it was questioning God. And God didn't take too kindly to that. And Miriam was struck with leprosy until Moses prayed for God to restore her. Just, this is just kind of a side note. Sometimes I wish that God worked the way that he did in the Old Testament. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, like I mean, <laughs> I think of like uh, when Miriam came and, you know, said this to Moses and boom, struck with leprosy. I, I think it'd be so cool. Or like the, the kids, it's a little gruesome, but the kids calling out the man of God, bald head, bald head. And then she bears come and kill all 42 of them, right? Like, if, 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 I think if stuff like that happened in today's day and age, it would maybe make us think before we say something against uh, the leadership of our church or of our home or our boss at work or something, right? If I knew, if I say that about my boss, like, she bears might come or lightning might strike or I might get leprosy. It might just uh, keep us uh, away from uh, doing, uh, talking against those people that God has placed in our life. But uh, that, that's just a side note, okay? But we see in their life uh, that this takes place. God strikes her with leprosy. Moses prays. But that was, the problems don't stop. Uh, you keep reading, the problems don't stop. We get to the passage in Numbers 14 where they're on the brink of claiming all that God had for them. They had sent 12 spies into Canaan. They had sent these 12 spies into Canaan to seek out the land. And these, these men were not supposed to be sent in to determine whether or not they were going to go take the land. God had already decided, you're going to take the land. This is the land I promised for you. They were supposed to go in and spy the land in order to find out how they would take the land. And yet, if you've been in church any length of time, you might know the uh, kid's song that 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good, right? <laughs> that uh, that uh, 10 of them, they looked out and they said, hey, yeah, it's all everything God said it was going to be. Like, like there's grapes. There's huge grapes. There's, it's a fertile land. There's milk and honey flowing everywhere. I mean, it's exactly how God described it. Everything is exactly how God described it. But there's giants. We were like grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way we can fight this. And there are 10 of them who said, there's no way we can do this. They're way too big. And then you have two men, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, both mentioned in, uh, by, God, by God, by name, 
in our passage that we read in Numbers 14, that those two men, they said, yeah, 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 it's exactly how God said, uh, said, said it was. And yeah, it's also how these guys said it was. Uh, there, there's some big guys there, but let me tell you, God is bigger. God is bigger. We can do this because God's on our side. Those guys might be big, but God is way bigger. We can totally do this. Let's take up our arms and let's take the land just like God wants us to. But uh, instead of listening to those two people who were in tune with the Lord and what God wanted them to do, the children of Israel uh, take a general consensus on the matter and go with the majority and uh, decide, you know what, let's not go in. If there's big people, how about we just stay out here? We'll just stay out here and we'll, we'll do our thing here. And, and they end up starting to complain and, and murmur uh, even to God and saying things like, well, we can't go in. We're going to lose our children. God doesn't even care about our children. We're going to lose them in battle. God doesn't even care about them. And they start to say some pretty ridiculous things. Now, if you're like me and you hear all of that, you're like pulling out your hair at the children of Israel, right? Like, ah, how could you be so focused on yourself and what you want that you miss all of these things that God did in your midst? And yet, as I was thinking on my own life, how many times that it, it's so easy for me to complain rather than focus on the blessings of God. Uh, I mean, is it is it as easy for you to find things to complain about as it is for me? Maybe I'm just carnal, uh, but but I think sometimes it's just way too easy to think about the things or find things to complain about rather than looking on the blessings of God because I'm focused so much on my own little inconveniences that I'm going through. You know, when you get your eyes off of God and his working and when you get your eyes focused on yourself and on your circumstances, you end up saying some ridiculous things, just like the children of Israel. These people said they wanted to die in the wilderness or in Egypt. What, what to God that we would just have died in Egypt? And then they get here and they're like, you, how about we just die in the wilderness instead of going? It's, it's interesting to me. It's funny. They were willing to die in Egypt or willing to die in the wilderness, but not willing to die in battle that God had called them to. They, they were willing to die in those areas, but not in the very calling of God. And it just didn't make any sense. They were saying some of the most ridiculous things. They were saying, God doesn't care about our children. We're going to lose them. And they were actually got to the point where they were ready to stone Caleb and Joshua for saying that God could do it. They were like, kill them. <laughs> like, everyone else is on the same page with these guys. How about we kill them? And it, it, it just goes to show that when our focus is uh, not on God and what he is doing, but rather we're focused on ourselves and on our own circumstances that we can say and do some ridiculous things. And it can be so easy to complain about the inconveniences that we face rather than looking at the blessings that God is going, that is giving us even in this very moment. I believe that if they would have remained focused on all that God had done for them in their journey thus far, and, and what he was doing in their midst right then and there, instead of focusing on themselves, they probably wouldn't have been so scared to take the next step. I dare say if they would have been focused on the things of God and how he had already worked in their life and how he was currently working, that they would have had the same attitude as Caleb and Joshua and said, no, let's go in and let's take the land. But instead, they decided to trust themselves rather than trust their own God. Which brings me to the last principle, principle number three. If we want to manage, manage our wilderness season well, we need to trust God with every next step, no matter how big the step may seem. Ultimately, you look at it, the greatest critique that God had for the people of Israel was their doubt and their disbelief. 
And it led them to some pretty big consequences. One man, he said it this way, doubt which led to depression, despondency, disbelief, and despair is now seen in the children of Israel to go on to disobedience and ultimately disaster. They doubted so much that they started making plans to go back to Egypt. Now, up to this point, they had talked a lot about going back to Egypt. But in this, in this uh, part, of they get up to the wilderness, they actually start making plans to do so. They, in fact, they're like, let's impeach Moses, get us a new captain and go back. That's, that was what they were saying, and uh, it, it just makes no sense. They trusted God, it seems, in portions of their past, but they couldn't trust him with their future. I think in my own life, I've been there. I don't know if you've been there, but uh, sometimes we only trust God with the things that have already happened. Man, I trust God because look at all of these things that he's already done. But then we look to our future, the next steps, and we go, I don't know about that. And, and, and it, it, it actually, it actually makes, it, it's actually illogical to, to look at your life and to look back in the past and to see all of the ways that God has worked, all of the ways that God has blessed, all of the ways that you have grown in your relationship to him, to see all of that in your past, it is actually illogical to not trust God in your presence. It, it, it makes absolutely zero sense to look at our past and say, he has always been faithful, but I'm not sure about what he'll be in the future. When he has proved time and time and time again that he has worked and is working and will work in our lives. But many times we find ourselves, just like the children of Israel, mismanaging our unexpected seasons, our wilderness seasons. I think that just like the Israelites, many times we view surprise seasons, we view these wilderness seasons as a negative thing. Well, I didn't see this coming, and we instantly see it as a negative thing. But wilderness seasons are only a negative thing if you stay there longer than you have to. Wilderness seasons are a, a purpose and a plan of God being worked out in your life. And the only way that those seasons are then a negative thing is if we stay there longer than we have to. For Israel, what was intended to be temporary ended up being 40 years because they mismanaged the season that they were in. If you look at it, they had been traveling for about two years. So the wanderings uh, uh, in the wilderness that were about to happen were about 38 and a half years after they were told they weren't going in. But it was meant to be temporary. This in-between season of uh, between getting out of Egypt and going into the promised land was meant to be a temporary season in their life, uh, a very short season. In fact, from the time that they were in Mount Sinai, seeing the presence of God above in Exodus 32, 33, when you see uh, those, from those chapters where they were at Mount Sinai and, and Moses getting the Ten Commandments and all that, from that point to, uh, to uh, uh, Kadesh Barnea, where they currently were in Numbers chapter 14, it, it, it's a, like an 11-day journey that they took. An 11-day journey from those two points. And what, in, what should have been an 11-day journey into what God wanted them to take, it ended up being 30 and a, 38 and a half more years of wanderings because they mismanaged this wilderness season. We saw in Numbers chapter 14 at the beginning of the message when we read, God said, you didn't trust me? Well, then every single person who's 20 years and older is going to miss out on the promised land. He said, not only that, no one's going in until every single one of you, 20 years old and up, are dead in the wilderness. I'll make an exception for you, Caleb. I'll make an exception for you, Joshua, because you trusted. 
Every other person, 20 years old and up, they will not see the promised land. They will die in this wilderness. And then began the longest funeral march in history. We see all of these people then dying off in these 38 and a half years. It said, the math was done. It said that for all the people who would have to die, that, that God said would have to die in the wilderness prior to going into the wilderness, for all of those people to die in 38 and a half years, if they would have taken the time with grave diggers and few people conducting funerals, it would require 12-hour workdays conducting seven funerals an hour for the 38 and a half years for the amount of people that needed to die at that time. That's unfathomable. Like, that, that there were so many people and that they came, to the, they came to the precipice of what God had promised them. And yet... They said, we don't trust. The general consensus was, we don't trust, other than the handful of people that said, no, God can do it. And it got me thinking that all of this, all of this took place and was prolonged for them because they mismanaged their wilderness season. Maybe our current season, our unexpected season that we're going through has no end in sight because as a Christian, we're mismanaging that season. We're, we're spending the time in that trial or in that unexpected season, spending more time focused on ourselves and the inconveniences that are coming about and that we're facing than we are on what God is trying to do in and through us in that time. So when we come to unexpected seasons, surprise seasons, the question really is this, how are you going to manage them? How are you going to manage them? These seasons are necessary for our lives to prepare us and to prune some things from our life. And God wants to work through these seasons uh, to, 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 he wants to work in us through these seasons, but we need to trust him. We need to, when we come to these, place, uh, to these unexpected seasons, to put our faith and trust in him. But you know, it's hard to trust someone that you don't know. Maybe someone's here today, you say, I, I, don't, I don't even know if I know God. I, I don't know if I, I can trust him because I don't know if I'm in a relationship with God. I, I, I don't know if I died today that I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm even a Christian, that I'm in Christ. And if that's you today, I, I want to tell you there's something wonderful from the word of God. You can know that. You can know that you're on your way to heaven. You can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us how. And I would encourage you, if that's you, find me after the service. I would love to show you from the Word of God how you can know that. But for those of us who do know Christ, we need to take heart to this message because we will go, we will all go through surprise seasons. We will. And just as we saw with the children of Israel, many times other surprises will pop up in the middle of their surprise seasons. I mean, in the wilderness, they had a battle with the Amalekites, and God gave them victory, but they had a surprise battle in the middle of their wilderness season. They did come across hunger and thirst in their wilderness season, a season they didn't see coming. There were other surprises that popped up, and God was going to provide, but as we saw time and time again, instead of seeing those each surprise in the midst of the surprise season, instead of seeing them as a way for God to work in and through them, they saw it as an inconvenience to complain about. And so when we come to those times in our life, will we uh, focus on ourselves and complain or will we look to God's blessings and trust him for the next step? 
Because as I said at the beginning of the message, how these seasons are managed may determine whether the season is prolonged or made permanent in our life. So, are you allowing him to prepare you and to prove some things in your life in these times? Are you focusing more on God and on his working the way that he's blessed and is blessing in your life? Or are you more focused on yourself and on your circumstances? Are you trusting him with every next step in your life, no matter how big those next steps may seem? Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.